before service and asked one of them, asked the guy who plays electric guitar, he had the cool hat, and I mean, he's a blues player. I mean, JP, what a, what a player he is. So I asked him, I said, are you in the groove today? Are you in the groove? And he kind of shook his head and said, yeah, I think I'm in the groove. Now, what does that mean to be in the groove? Right? I mean, now, you all kind of, you, you feel it, don't you? You feel the groove. You feel what it is. So I asked him, I said, what does it mean to be in the groove? And he said, man, I just, I don't know. He just couldn't come up with the words, right? And, and he couldn't come up with the words. But we knew to be in the groove meant you're just smooth, man. You're just, just right in rhythm. You're just, you're just playing along and, 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 and you're doing it well. And then one of, the, one of the other band members told me the original meaning of that, which is cool because words are powerful, is when you put the needle in a record in the groove of the record. How many knew that, huh? All right. Yeah, so, so isn't it interesting how words kind of evolve? Words have a real practical meaning, and then the, the words be, be, take on this kind of other meaning itself, kind of like fire in the belly. Fire in the belly could have been like you had some really bad chili. That's fire in the belly. I don't want to be crude here, but now fire in the belly means something. It's like determination, grit, uh, this, this sense of I'm going to get it done. That person, that athlete or that, or, or that leader has fire in the belly and they're going to go for it. And the phrases begin to take on something. I first was exposed to the term mojo. Have you heard that mojo? I, I grew up in Texas and Odessa Permian High School. Um, Friday Night Lights. I don't endorse the show nor the movie, but it was based off Odessa Permian High School, and they were in West Texas, and we used to see them play at least once a year when they would come and, and come to Irving and play at Dallas, the Texas Stadium, where the Cowboys played, because they were so good, and they would start screaming, mojo, mojo, and it was this idea of we got the momentum, but it's not just the momentum, it's momentum with this kind of magic quality. We don't believe in magic here. Again, I'm not endorsing Friday Night Lights. Uh, but it, it, it kind of comes from a uh, Cajun type of phrase, if I understood it correctly. So now you hear it all the time, the term mojo. The term mojo talks about not just momentum, because momentum is something you can create. Mojo is momentum that has kind of this, this quality about it, this kind of transcendent quality, this, this kind of magical quality. Y'all with me on that? Y'all are looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just help me out for the next service. Who has ever heard the term mojo in here? Okay, I'll use that illustration next service. Then thank you. That was just a poll. Now, here's my point. And I do point, all right? I want to surprise you with that. My point is this, is that um, sometimes a single word or a single phrase can summarize a, an entire thought process. Uh, a single word or a single phrase can encompass... A, a whole lot of history and a whole lot of development. Such is the word Trinity. Now, as we observe the church calendar, it's something we don't have to do, something we choose to do. Uh, it puts us in certain rhythms and seasons that are in concert with other Christians, not just around the world, but throughout the centuries. This Sunday, the Sunday after Pentecost, is traditionally, not biblically, but traditionally Trinity Sunday. And it's a Sunday where we emphasize the Trinity. Some of you kids in here got a coloring page for the Trinity. I'm kind of excited to see one of those. You don't notice that when you came in? If you missed it, they're out in the lobby. There's some coloring pages because, you know, kids you can color while the pastor preaches. And I know adults do the same too. I know that uh, you, you make grocery lists and 
draw pictures and all that kind of stuff. And that's part of learning. Some of you are learning actively as you draw. So the, the word Trinity, it talks about the triune God, God who is one, is distinct in three different personalities. And it is an essential part of Christianity. And so today, listen, I know you're like, oh, I don't want to hear about the Trinity. I have practical things in my life. The, the Trinity actually is going to protect you from attacks of the enemy. Because the concept of the Trinity has been a, a protective uh, a protective conclusion that the church has had for many years. Now, I'll tell you this right now. If you go to the back of your Bible and, and use the concordance, thank God for the concordance. If you don't know what that is, like that is like so helpful to find scriptures. And so you need to know what that is. And if you look up the word Trinity, you won't find it in the Bible. Isn't that surprising to some of us? It's such an important word. We think the word Trinity would be in the Bible, but the word Trinity is not in the Bible because it's a word that has now encompassed centuries of Christian development of, of church leaders understanding who God is and what the na- who the nature of God is. One of my favorite theologians, Wayne Grudem, kind of summarized it this way. This quote is in your notes. God internally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, that definition is wordy, but every word is very valuable. And this, this is a protective understanding of what has been expressed through the creeds we declare, uh, which has been um, part of Orthodox Christianity, which Orthodox Christianity is a good word. It means what God's people have believed in all times and in all places. So every Christian has believed in the Trinity in every country, in every era, at every time. And the part of the Trinity that's so important to understand is not just the triune part of it, the fact that there are three personalities, but you cannot believe that unless you believe each person is fully God. So Jesus is not just God when he was on earth, or Jesus is not just God when he's in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is not just God when he was sent on the day of Pentecost. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each person is fully God, is fully eternal, and they are one God. And this concept is something that gives us a greater understanding of who God is, and when we understand who God is, we fellowship with God. When we understand who God is, then we're better able to relate to him. So I'm doing this sermon a little different than I typically do. I know we might have family members in town, and you don't even know who I am, so you don't care how this has changed. But usually, you know, it's like I do three points, like story point, scripture, story point, scripture, story point, scripture. If you've never figured that out, that's just, it works, okay? This is going to blow you away, but we're going to look at all the scripture and then give Four points, not three points. So I'm telling you, things are really different today. But let's look at the scripture. Because the word Trinity is not in the Bible, it is inferred through many different scriptures. And I'm going to give you a big diet of scriptures today. The first one, Genesis 1.26. Have you ever noticed this? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that 
move along the ground. You see the plurality from the beginning before creation even started that the Trinity was in perfect unity as one God in distinct personalities. Let us make mankind. We see at the baptism of Jesus, and by the way, water baptism is on July 22nd, and we've already had a, a few people, like five people, sign up for water baptism, but I'm believing some of you adults, I really want you to be baptized in water if you've never been baptized in water, and so please consider that. July 22nd is the next scheduled one, but man, we'll, we'll, we'll do it anytime you want to get baptized to the best of our capabilities. One of the reasons we're baptized is because Jesus did it as an example to us. And at his baptism, something powerful happened in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. You know, doves come down this way. Some of you who are hunters know this better than me. Like, they don't... I've been told... I've been told, so if I'm wrong, correct me later. You know, mostly birds, they, they, they fly in at a trajectory, but doves kind of come down. The spirit came down, descending like a dove, alighting on him. And then a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. I love that scripture. And that's why I introduced my three kids, because I'm pleased with all three of you kids. I'm proud of you. I love you guys. This is a great, great sign at the water baptism. You see this, Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended, and the Father's voice came. There's the Trinity all working together in unity. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus was clear that he was God. I and the Father are one. That was a scandalous, powerful statement. That wasn't just some symbolic statement. He was saying, guys, I am the Messiah. I am God himself. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not a moralist. I'm not just someone who does good deeds for humanity. Every, every other description that the world wants Jesus to be, Jesus, as C.S. Lewis tells us, was either he was a lunatic or he was Lord. There was another L in there too. He, he was either lunatic or Lord. He was either a crazy person and thought he was God or he really was God. John 14, 9, he says, anyone has seen the Father, uh, anyone, excuse me, let me read it, that will help me. Jesus said, don't you know, Philip, even after I have been among you so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? There it is. The, the Spirit and the Father were one. He wasn't just teaching about the Father. He was the Father manifested as the Son. Verse 16 and 17 of John 14, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You're getting a lot of Bible right now, aren't you? Is that okay? Is that all right? You don't need a story to break it up, right? We can just keep giving you the Bible. All right, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So when Pastor Matt puts some of you underwater and says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and keeps you in there an extra two seconds, he's being biblical at that point. So there we go. I love 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I posted this on social media stuff yesterday. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There it is, the Trinity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 1 Peter 1, 2. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Are you guys starting to see a trend or pattern here? Here's the last scripture in Jude. Jude only has one chapter, so verse 20 and 21. But you, dear friends... By building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So guys, I've given you a lot of scripture. You can tuck that away somewhere. You can mark it up in your Bible. Maybe you want to go in your Bible sometime and put a triangle by these scriptures. I'm not joking. That's actually a way to remind you of the triune God, the Trinity. Uh, go back to Wayne Grudem's definition if you can at the beginning. Now that we've seen all those scripture, this will help us. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God and there is one God. The scripture teaches us, we don't have time, but that all three of these expressions of the one God, they all three are eternal. They all three are holy. They all three are true. They all are omnipresent. They're omniscient. They're omnipotent. They're creators. They're sanctifiers. They're authors of spiritual things. They're sources of eternal life. They teach us. They were involved in raising Christ from the dead. They inspire the prophets in the scripture. And they supply ministers to the church. These are things all three of the personalities of God in the Trinity are involved in. All right? All right. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. The Trinity summarizes the development of Christianity. Going back to my opening illustration, how one phrase, one word encapsulates many thoughts. This is why the word Trinity is important to us. You might ask, well, you know, who cares what the church fathers thought? Who cares about tradition? It's, God's a right now God. God's a right now everyday God. And while that is a true statement, God is moving in unique ways among his people. We, we fail to realize that tradition and, and our church fathers and the creeds and councils, so much of our biblical interpretation, all of our biblical interpretation has flown, uh, has, has filtered through, is a better way to put that, through their influence. And so it is a national holiday and we think about this. Uh, it, you know, we think about the Constitution of the United States. The Declaration of Independence before that. The Declaration of Independence gave intention. The Constitution told us how to operate. And, and the, the original thoughts of our founding fathers guide us today to the type of people that we're supposed to be. Well, we have a much longer history in Christianity. We have a much more diverse and, and deeper and global history. And we know that what our, our church fathers have, have done, and, and we could say fathers and sisters, 
have done is they've gathered together and, and they established what the New Testament is. And they said, these scriptures and canon are God's word. They're, they're not just like any other writing. There's power on them. There's an anointing on them. Uh, we've seen signs and wonders declared when this, these books have been taught upon. And so we're going to say that these books together are holy scriptures. And then to interpret those holy scriptures, the first 300 years of Christianity, the, the first 400 years of Christianity, people were trying to minimize Jesus. They may have tried to minimize whether he was really God, or they were trying to minimize his humanity. And there were all of these different interpretations about who Jesus was and who the Holy Spirit is. And so it was that the creeds, the councils, the interpretations, the conclusions help us determine how to interpret scripture. Okay. Now, just this week, this was, it's kind of kind of interesting that this happened this week. There's a pastor I really, really respect. Like, I would attend this guy's church, and I don't ever want you guys to leave our church, but if you left and went to another city and went to this guy's church, I would be happy because he's a good pastor. He's a good theologian. He was describing his group of churches, and he said this. He said, well, we don't believe, he said, we believe just the Bible, and we're not caught up in creeds. What do you mean by creeds, by the way? Maybe I should explain that more. The Nicene Creed, and the Apostles' Creed, which we declare uh, at least monthly, and, and water baptisms are declarations of faith that Christians have been making for centuries and centuries. And, and they are what God's people have believed in all times, in all places. And so my friend, though he, it sounds really good to say, like, we only believe the Bible. We only believe the Bible. Like, that sounds appealing to me. Like, I would like to sit under a pastor who would say that. I would, I would, I want to say that. And while that is true, the interpretations of the Bible are rooted in the historic faith. And the historic faith has said there is something known as the Trinity. Our careful study of scripture, even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, that word, it summarizes all of what we believe. And here's what happens is when we don't believe that, we are tempted to think that we get some type of new revelation about who Jesus is, our new understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we are just people who are, we're always wanting the new angle, the new trend. We're always wanting to be clever. We're always wanting to appear wise and smarter. So we have seen things the way no one else has seen that. And that can make us very vulnerable to false doctrine. So for 1,700 years, about the 4th century, in the 300s, the word Trinity was established. And for now, over 1,700 years, this has been a great question of whether someone is a true Christian. Do they believe and understand and proclaim the Trinity? Here's the second point. The Trinity is a place of assault. The Trinity is a place of assault. What do I mean by that? When people attack Christianity and traditional Christianity... They attack the Trinity. And the, the reason for this is, it, there's, there's many reasons for this, but uh, we, have, we have lived in a world of many, many gods. And so let's say the Hindus today have tens, tens of thousands of gods. They worship all types of different idols. They, they may even sometimes say, well, we'll worship Jesus too, just like we'll worship any other god, but unless they believe in the oneness of Jesus and the Trinity that Jesus is part, he is only one God, 
as the definition I've already put up several times, uh, eternal, one God, and three distinct personalities. You can't, you can't just worship Jesus as one of many gods. And that's what makes things confusing because uh, as, as, as humanity has developed, there's been all types of different gods. And so the Jewish people, they were living in Canaan, well, in Egypt and Canaan. And there were all these different gods. And what became very important to them is the belief that we share with our, with our Jewish friends that there is one God. Deuteronomy 6.5, they, they say this every day, that hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one God. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one God. There are not many gods. There are not several gods. There is one God. And that's why that the concept that Jesus the Messiah was also God... The concept that the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost is troublesome troublesome to those Jews who are not Messianic Jews. In addition to that, we see in Islam. In Islam, it's very important that they believe Allah is one God. And because of that, that that is a great point of differentiation. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, I think about here in America, there are many, many different religious cults. Many cults that claim to be Christian. But if they don't believe in, Trinity, in the Trinity, they are not part of the historic Christian faith. Now, the people who follow those, those Christian cults, we may see them in heaven because God is merciful. So I'm not talking here about uh, your friend you may know who may not have a full understanding. But I, I'm talking about whole movements of people who don't want to acknowledge the Trinity and who God is. And so we, we think about a lot of the new thought type of teaching, like Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is so funny to me when, when preachers like to quote Emerson, because Emerson totally assaulted uh, the Trinity. Now, I like some of his quotes, and one of my life quotes is an Emerson quote, but it's a very humanistic quote. It's not centered on scripture. It's not centered on the historic faith. And so Emerson, he, he taught that, you know, that, that, that Jesus was just a good teacher and the spirit was just the attitude between us and that the father was this distant pantheistic God who, who just was in creation and not part of us. And so that, that whole new thought mindset has spun off many, many of the cults that were in the 20th century especially. You don't hear as much about those now in the 21st century. And, and this is not an exhaustive study today on, on Christian cults and not an exhaustive study on, on other world religions, even though I do enjoy teaching that. So the Christian cults, if you dig deeper, they do not want to acknowledge that Jesus is supreme, that they want you to be equal with Jesus. Jesus may be the Lord of earth, but if you're good enough, you can be the God of another planet. And this diminishes the supremacy of Jesus and who he is. Here's number three, and I've already made this point. The Trinity is the great distinctive between Islam and Christianity. So this this is really important because, you know, Islam has its roots back to Ishmael, Abraham's son. And Christianity's roots are back to Isaac, who who was the son of promise. The, the, The Islamic people will acknowledge um, Jesus as a prophet. They will even acknowledge that he has great teachings, many of them. But to maintain the doctrine of the Trinity is idolatrous and one of the worst sins possible in Islam. To actually say that, that there are, in their interpretation, more than one God 
Now, we know, again, because of the definition I've given you several times today, that we believe there is one God distinct in three personalities. The Trinity is kind of hard, isn't it? Have, are you starting to figure that out? It, it's kind of hard, which uh, makes it something uh, that we rightfully struggle with. If theology and the study of God was easy, it wouldn't seem like we were following God, would it? And so, and so this is a great assault all over the college campuses. And this is a 2008 book I got this from. So I, I, I'm, I'm imagining, I'm guessing it's even increased in the last 10 years. Um, the Muslim Student Association passes out tracts all over college campuses. And they assault the Christian belief in the Trinity. That is the soft spot in their mind. That is going to be the point of differentiation. And that's why having Trinity Sunday is important today. It's important today that we remind each other and we declare who God is. Here's the last thing, and here's the last point. Number four, the Trinity helps us understand God's love. The Trinity helps us understand God's love. Now, when I was a senior in high school, I, I got to tell the story, and it's going to sound like I'm bragging, but, but there, there's a point here. Um, I did a presentation and share the gospel with some freshmen in our high school through Young Life. And one of the kids there was a family friend, and she told her mom, who told me that it was the most effective gospel presentation she had ever heard. Well, that made me feel kind of good, and, and, and I was happy, and the Lord moved in that. But here's the reason I'm telling you the story. As my faith matured, I realized that what I shared was inaccurate okay now here's the cool thing about it even when we're inaccurate God uses it when we have a good heart so that's part of our point here like when we're doing our best and we maybe share something that is it the best the God still moves in that and he did move in that gospel presentation well what I had told uh, these students is that you know God had all of creation but he was lonely and so he created you because he wanted to be in relationship with you. And there's some elements of truth, but we, we cannot have a God who is in need. And now I understand that because of what we read in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 26, that God was never lonely because he was always in relationship with the Spirit and the Son. And so we see that you cannot love if there's no one to love. Right? There is no love unless love has an object to love. So I'll close with this quote from Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson. It says, the Trinity enables us to better understand the scriptural teaching that God is love. Love cannot exist without someone to love. Which is why Allah and any unitary understanding leads to a cold, impersonal God. The essence of the God of the Bible is he is intertwined triune nature is his intertwined triune nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three continuously pour out love to one another and receive love in return. The Trinity exists as a perfect community of self-giving. Isn't that a powerful quote? I'll try to post that for you later on today. What, what really is the Trinity? I know I've talked a little, bit, a little bit academic today. But you know what the Trinity is? The Trinity is an expression of God's love. And we understand that because God is in a perfect love relationship, 
as this quote says, this community of self-giving, then he is the essence of love himself, and we reflect love back to him. Let's stand together. Father, we love you. This is, you know, one of the things I pray that, that, that the Lord will do through this message today. There's several things the Lord is doing, but I, I pray the Lord would kind of give you an appetite for the, the impact that theology will have on your life. I, I, want, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this is that God is calling some of you to be um, more students of his scripture, more students of theology and the interpretation of scripture because Satan wants to take advantage of the uninformed. I don't think that every single person in here may be called to do that. I, you know, we all are called to do that at some level. We're all called to do that. And, and you know that I want you to read the New Testament each year. And I want us to be in this devotional life where the Holy Spirit's talking to us through scripture. But for some of you, 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 you've been fascinated with other parts of the world, but you've been negligent to the mind and the heart of God as revealed through scripture, as interpreted as interpreted through the creeds and the councils and, and church history. And the Lord is calling you to be a pillar in the house of God. And it's going to take you digging deeper. No more shallow things. No more shallow things. The shallow things are diversions. You know, we all have shallow things in our life that we're drawn to and we enjoy. We all have those. And so it's not wrong to, to wade in the shallow waters here and there and, and to be part of that recreation in us. And it recreates who we are. But the Lord's calling you to deeper waters and he's calling you to dig in. And the Lord's calling you not to delay anymore, not to wait. Someday, someday I'll get in. The Lord needs you. The Lord needs the redemption of the mind. He needs a redemption of the mind. And for some of you, some of you, he's calling you to, to go further in thinking about the things of the Lord thinking about the interpretations of, of the faith and the scripture because there's so many who you need to defend that you need to stand up for there's so many who are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy and while we may all have different distinct things that we're called to do there are some here today the spirit speaking to us right now this is how the spirit works the spirit is speaking about his word right now and the lord is calling you he's calling you to dig deeper and to go deeper and to expand your thoughts and to give more time to the things of the lord and so heed that today heed that today Submit to that today. Quit resisting that. Quit delaying that. Quit saying tomorrow, the Lord says, today it starts. Today it starts. Maybe this very afternoon. 15 minutes in a spiritual book. Reinvigorate that Bible reading plan again. Go back and we, we begin to think about the things of the Lord. And here's the thing. If you believe that you have God figured out, you are deceived. Because we will study God, not just in this lifetime. I believe that even in the glories of heaven. We will be, be understanding who God is with more and more revelation. And throughout, throughout eternity, we'll be learning more about who God is because the greatness and the vastness of who he is. So we thank you, Lord, for doing that. We want to pray for you today. We're going to Oh, we're going to go to a time of response. And if you're visiting with us today, I'll explain to you the opportunity you have. We're going to open communion. 